0: You know the why human trafficking work is needed, to fight for the freedom of modern-day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. The International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference is the largest and oldest academic conference on human trafficking in the nation. Join us for our 18th annual conference, hosted virtually this year on September 22nd through the 24th. You will have the opportunity to learn from and collaborate with thousands of advocates, researchers, experts, and survivors from all over the world. Find out more information and register today on our website, traffickingconference.com. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation, episode 109. And I want to continue with the series, the solo series on trauma. And this week, I really want to talk about trauma-informed care, uh, which is different than trauma treatment. And next week, I really want to dive into the different types of trauma treatment for survivors. But first, I just want to talk about uh, an overview of trauma. We talked a lot about uh, some of the symptoms of trauma last week and complex and chronic trauma and that sort of thing. But um, SAMHSA talks about trauma being um, something that results from an event or a series of events and a set of circumstances that are experienced by somebody either physically or emotionally that are harmful or life-threatening and that have lasting effects on the individual's functioning or mental, physical, social, emotional, and spiritual well-being. So they talk about those three E's of trauma, the events, so the circumstances that cause the trauma, the experience, uh, the circumstances and the the dosages that matter in terms of that experience, and then the effects of trauma, meaning the physical, the social, the emotional, the spiritual consequences because of trauma. And so, when we act as someone who's trauma informed, then we want to shift first our way of thinking. Uh, so instead of saying things like "What's wrong." we might say, what happened? Um, Instead of saying like, what's your diagnosis? We might say something like, what's your story? What brought you here? Instead of what are your symptoms? Uh, You know, what have you uh, been dealing with? What, how have you coped and how have you adapted? Um, Instead of how can I best help or treat you? It's like, how can we work together to figure out what helps the best. Um, Instead of here's what we need to work on, how can I support changes in your behavior, in your life that will benefit you? And of course, we want to stay away from any language that is blaming or derogatory, like, you know, uh, how did you get yourself uh, caught up in this situation? Um, you know, what are some of your problems? Um, you know, that goes along with what's wrong with you and, uh, how long have you been a street prostitute and how long have you been a drug addict and all of the, um, terms that sort of, um, envelops the entire person. So things like, oh, here's my, uh, Bipolar. I have my bipolar client at two. Um, You know, bipolar might be something that affects your client, but it's not your total client's personality. Someone may have been involved in street prostitution. It doesn't mean that that's their entire personality. So we want to make sure that we stay away from language that takes away from the whole being and kind of uh, now you only see that person as that one thing. They're much more than that one thing. Um, the way you talk to people, the way you speak to people, you could come with the, the right words and the wrong tone. And that is traumatizing, retriggering. Your nonverbal body language is re-traumatizing or triggering. So you have to be very careful, very sensitive, as much as we all want to be culturally sensitive. You know, we think about, we talk about, we learn about cultural sensitivity. We have to also be trauma-informed. We have to be trauma-sensitive in our language, uh, in our body's uh, conversation, our nonverbal conversation to people. You know, when we answer the phone, when we look at our watch, you know, that's a nonverbal conversation happening there. And the conversation is, uh, you're not important. So I'll just answer the phone while I'm trying to talk to you as well. Or I'm going to look at my watch. You're, You're taking up too much of my time. It's time for you to leave. Those types of things are subtle, but they definitely communicate something that's not positive to the person we're talking to. Some of the Events going back to the E in events and trauma can be the result of abuse. So, emotional abuse or social or physical abuse, domestic violence, witnessing violence, not even being a, a source or a victim of violence, which is also traumatizing, but witnessing violence, bullying, cyberbullying, uh, institutional abuse. Uh, so, abuse. Is one category of an event that occur could occur loss, meaning the death of somebody can be traumatizing. Abandonment, neglect, uh, separation, uh, natural disaster, accidents, terrorism, war—all of those things are uh, under the category of loss. And then chronic stressors that can become um, traumatizing: poverty, over time, racism. Uh, microaggressions, those types of things that are associated with racism, um, invasive medical procedures, uh, community trauma, historical trauma, and uh, family members with substance abuse disorder that can cause you continued stress and trauma. We know the the earlier the onset, uh, the likely likelier it is that somebody is going to face significant, uh, trauma and the, uh, effects of trauma, uh, being blamed or shamed, uh, because of the trauma, uh, makes it worse. And then if the perpetrator was a trusted caregiver, um, then that also has a dramatic, um, and negative effect on the person who suffers trauma. So, Overall, we want to be focused on, instead of, um, you know, how do I understand the problem or the symptoms, it's how do I best understand this person? So if I'm in um, an agency or an organization, whether it's a uh, healthcare, social services, legal services, uh, criminal justice services, like probation, parole, any of those institutions, To become trauma-informed, there are a few things that my agency should be concerned with. One is I wanna develop a safe and trusting space. So I want people to be able to trust uh, the workers in that agency and that I'm entering a space where they are there to help me. Even if it's a probation office that is telling you what to do, we should create a space that helps that person feel like we are trying to do things that are in their best interest. Number two, we should pay attention for the signs of trauma. Ask questions. We should take our time with clients. Uh, We should, number three, develop good uh, trauma-informed communication strategies, uh, connect our, our survivors with appropriate services, and then Intervene as necessary in a way that's trauma informed. When we're involved in an agency that is providing care to a population that may have been traumatized, then we certainly want to be concerned with adopting some principles and some practices that promote a culture of safety, a culture of empowerment, and a culture of healing for not only the consumers that come into our establishment but also the providers anybody within that building that may have suffered trauma. So SAMHSA gives key six key principles of a trauma informed approach. So being trauma informed is not good enough. I mean that's just you're you're informed, you're educated. Okay, great. But You need a trauma-informed approach. Now, that's the action step. So the first principle is safety. So you want to establish in a, a place that people feel safe. Safety is a basic need. So make sure that the physical setting is safe. Make sure that the psychological setting is safe. Make sure that the interpersonal interactions are there to promote a sense of safety. So look around your agency and, you know, say to yourself, is this a safe place? Would uh, a survivor coming here feel safe in our interactions, in our conversations? Um, The second principle is trustworthiness and transparency. So um, that's your goal. Build trust within that agency. Transparency helps build trust. So tell people what they're going to get at the agency, how long they're going to be there today, what's possible, what they can voluntarily say, yes, I I would like that service and no, I don't want that service. So be as transparent as possible because that builds trust. Build trust with the people served. So make sure that the people really understand uh, the limits to confidentiality, for example, Uh, Make sure that they understand their options. If you do that, if you build trustworthiness and transparency, then you are using a trauma-informed approach. The third principle that's key is peer support. So um, you want to build uh, mutually healing relationships among people inside that agency. And that's really based on your core values and principles. So peer support should be voluntary. There should be no judgments. It should be respectful. Um, It should be reciprocal. The relationship is reciprocal and it should be empathetic. You should build relationship. So we're not working on necessarily the medical model here where you walk into the office Uh, I am the expert. I tell you exactly what to go do. And then you go run out and do it. I know everything about you. You know nothing about me. You remember the traditional counseling and therapy sessions where, you know, you come in, you spill your guts all on the floor and tell me every single thing about you, all of the shameful details about yourself. I'll sit there with my pad and pen and glasses on my face, and I will tell you exactly nothing about me. And we'll call that a relationship. Um, If you call that a relationship, one of you is being fooled. Uh, Probably you. Look, I want to say there was a time in my life where I had to be on welfare and get food stamps. And it was not trauma-informed. I did not feel safe. I never felt safe when I went to that agency. Uh, I felt under threat. I felt like if I didn't answer correctly, that some of my benefits might be taken from me. I felt that I had to sit there for as long as they deemed possible or whatever they felt. I don't exactly know what was going on, but my appointment time was never my appointment time. It was always a half an hour to an hour later. They had no respect for my time or what I might have had to do that day. So I I never felt safe. I never felt secure in knowing when I was going to get out of there for that day to conduct the rest of the business I had to do that day. Uh, Trustworthiness, transparency was not there. I did not trust them. Um, Their work was not transparent. It was sort of like answer the questions and we'll let you know if um, you answered um, appropriately and worthy of continued support. Um, The third Support, peer support was not there. I definitely did not have a relationship with anybody there. There was no collaboration um, that took place in terms of support. So it was a very different time, I understand, but I so understand these principles and why it's important that they be in place. I haven't had the experience that I've had. I haven't been a survivor of. Trafficking. I've been a survivor of domestic violence, but I also say that I am a survivor of um, that agency. <laughs> I have said that for a number of years. So, trauma informed approach critically important. But let let's continue. So, <laughs> so today we try to build relationship and support, and so they have to know a little about you, not enough for you know it to become. Your therapy, and not enough to put you at risk, and not enough for it to be an appropriate sharing, but enough for them to know that you are a human being and you struggle through life like they struggle through life. There's nothing special about you. Uh, You get support just like they're looking for support. Just appear human, Uh, be human to somebody else. Principle four is collaboration. You know, everybody has a role to play. No one, no person or no one agency or no one discipline can solve this problem. I mean, you may think your discipline is the end-all be-all, but I've talked about this before. You know, when lawyers come into the room, they think they're the most important people there on the collaboration hey, if we don't have justice, we have nothing. So they think they're the most important thing in the room. You know, when a healthcare provider comes into the room and the collaboration as part of the process, they think they're the most important. Hey, if you're not healthy, you're dead. So I am the most important person here. The social worker comes into the room, the clinical mental health counselor comes into the room, all of these people can come in, the police officer, the criminal justice system. Hey, if we don't lock everybody, if we don't lock these criminals up, then we have a society in chaos, so we're the most important person. The answer is neither agency or discipline or person is the most important person. It is the collaboration that makes it all work. So we all have to practice a little humility and understand that if we are going to actually address uh, survivor's trauma, that we have to play our role and we have to run in our lane as best and as, as in trauma informed as we can, but we are not the end all be all of this whole thing. And so I think uh we need to take a step back and just practice humility. It's like, it's like we have a little bit too much self-esteem. We think we're going to we're going to solve it. We're not going to solve it by ourselves. Principle number 5 is to have uh empowered voice and choice. So, for our survivors and for their families. So, we should be working as our agencies to empower survivors we should be working to help help people have a voice and have choice in how their recovery will work and we should offer them an individualized approach that that fits them they shouldn't be fitting into whatever uh, cookie cutter program we have we should have a framework yes but we should also have an individualized approach because, Every survivor is unique. And so as we uh, become trauma-informed, then we want to make sure that we empower survivors and that we listen and, and we give them voice and we give them choice. As the old adage says, if you're in the room, if you have power and you're in the room, shut up and listen. If you're in the room and you have little to no power, speak up and talk. And that's how we become trauma-informed. Principle six is cultural, historical, and gender issues. We have to acknowledge that we need to be culturally sensitive, culturally competent. We have to acknowledge that there's implicit bias all the way to flat-out racism, homophobia, uh, those types of things that happen within agencies. And of course, that happened uh, within enlightened woke agencies, even, and that we're always trying to be culturally competent. See, because every single day you are bombarded, bombarded with racist, sexist, homophobic content. It's on the news, it's in the television, it's online, it's in social media. Uh, everywhere you go, you are being bombarded. So tell me, if you don't have any homophobic, racist, sexist tendencies, tell me how you're doing that because you need to bottle it and sell it because it is permeating you every single day. And so every single day you have to fight it. And what I like to say is, you know, don't turn down those messages that you're saying to yourself about different people, turn them up so that you can hear them. You can acknowledge them. And then start your second tape that says, that's not true. Why are you saying that? What evidence do you have that supports that? Leave that person alone. Let that person be. Let that person be free to be whoever they want to be 100%. So you have to hear yourself in order to counter yourself. And so you do that individually. But how is that being played out in your agency, in your policies, in the Paintings that you have on the wall, do they represent the people that come to your agency? The music that you play in the waiting room, does that music reflect the people that you serve? Your brochures, whose whose pictures are in those brochures? Do they reflect the people that come there? Those are the types of uh, ways that you can be culturally sensitive and thereby more trauma-informed. There's four R's to be in a trauma-informed program, an organization, or a system. The first R is to realize, realize the impact, the widespread impact of trauma, and understand the potential pathways for recovery. Not one pathway, but potential pathways. Recognize the signs and the symptoms of trauma in your clients, in your families, in your staff. In other people that are involved in the system, system. people are yelling, screaming, going off. Instead of putting non-compliant down in their file, maybe you can understand a little more about emotional regulation and what that has to do with trauma. The third hour is respond. Respond by fully integrating the knowledge about trauma into your policies, into your procedures, and into your practices. And then the last R is resist. Resist re-traumatizing people. So that's a little bit on trauma-informed care. Of course, you can listen to podcasts on trauma-informed care. You can go to workshops and online webinars um, and learn lots, lots more than what I shared in this little amount of time. But next time, we'll talk about various trauma treatments. So I'll leave you with this. The toxic person will tell you to suck it up and make you feel like it's your fault. The average person will tell you to stay positive and will pretend to care. The trauma-informed person will say, I'm here. And they'll let you verbalize your feelings. Zero judgment. That's from Coach Chris of the Mind Journal. But I also say the toxic agency will tell you that's how we do things, so suck it up and jump through these hoops. The average agency will tell you, I'm so sorry, but those are the rules. And the trauma-informed agency will look at their rules and their policies, and they'll always be thinking, how can we improve so that we partner with our survivors? and not dictate what they do. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.